for a 37 count federal indictment based on mishandling of classified documents that the FBI found in his Florida home last year. Country music star Garth Books on Monday addressed critics after he said that his bar would bring Bud Light and other comments. And again, he wanted customers to show tolerance. The bar is called the Friends in Low Places and Hunky Tonk. And he's a singer and country music uh, legend. And uh, this all happened in Nashville. The bar was kind of gotten getting kind of crazy because they serving all kind of beer, but didn't want Bud Light in. So this is this is what's hot. This is what's happening. And this is because he cares about inclusivity. He cares about tolerance. And it's important to him, he said. He said, I want this to be a place where people love one another and set aside people's political differences. Also happening is two Kansas City police officers have been disciplined and a charge has been dropped against a man held down at Walmart last week in the incident capturing captured on video. This man said his 24-year-old nephew was taken onto the ground, head down by officers, after he was accused of stealing a pizza Thursday and videotaped him being pinned down was posted on a TikTok video. Uh, also happening in New York City began mandating its first minimum wage increase for app-based delivery workers on Monday, forcing a long-awaited shift in how popular platforms like Uber, Grubhub, and DoorDash pay gig workers. The city is set to increase a minimum of $19.96 per hour starting Sunday with plans to fully implement this new standard by April 1st, 2025. Some app-based delivery workers across the city rely primarily on tips to make their living. Earnings of average right now of $7.09 per hour. Well, Daniel Penny, the veteran charged with manslaughter in the death of New York City subway, subway rider, disputed on eyewitness account that he held Jordan Neely in a chokehold. And he defended himself in video statements. And this is what the recording said. It said he released to his attorneys in statements on Sunday. Penny reiterated that he did not intend to choke Neely and that he was trying to restrain him. He also said he did not restrain Mr. Neely for 15 minutes and said it was only a couple of minutes. So the whole interaction lasted less than five. Hmm. Well, federal prosecutors are seeking 14 years in federal prison for a violent January 6th rioter who his lawyers say idolized Donald Trump, no surprise, and thought that the former president was more like a father figure that he had never had. This is Daniel D.J. Rodriguez, and he pleaded guilty in February, admitting that he battered law enforcement officers on the step of the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021, and stunned former Washington police officer Mike Fanone in the neck before he stormed the building and smashed out a window. Mm. Okay, well, this is Ariva Martin in real time, and I'm Angelique Francis. I'm just sitting in for my girl today. This is your one-stop destination for today's trending news, expert analysis, and unfiltered opinions. In this hour, I am joined by contributors Dr. Larry Walker, who is a professor at the University of Central Florida, and Brennan Dixon, a L.A. Times reporter. In the second hour, we're going to go behind the headlines and go deep into the stories everyone are talking about. Today is all about black music. Music Month and the influence of African Americans on the music, on the blues, to hip hop. But before I bring those guests on, let me tell you what I've been thinking about in real time. See, I have a show called Living in the Sweet Spot right here on KBLA on Saturday and Sunday. And we talk about things that are really 
um, how you take trials and tribulations to triumphs. And so what happened on Sunday in Sacramento, California, is proof positive that there is often a bright light in the midst of a tragedy. Public officials dedicated a California skate park in honor of slain Tyree Nichols, a black man who spent most of his youth in the state and was killed in January in what prosecutors said was a fatal beating by police in Tennessee during a traffic stop. An avid, an avid, avid uh, skateboarder, Nichols spent much of his time as a youth at this park and on the outskirts of Sacramento. City officials and others held a ribbon-cutting ceremony for this newly renovated skate park that's going to be named after him, called the Nichols Skate Park. Mr. Nichols moved to Memphis, Tennessee shortly before the coronavirus pandemic and lived there with his mother and stepfather. He enjoyed photography, especially taking pictures of landscapes and sunsets. And tragically, Mr. Nichols' life was cut short on night of January 7th, let us all remember that, when Memphis police pulled him over on his way home from taking pictures of the sky. Taking pictures of the sky. Just a few minutes from home, he was brutally attacked by several officers. Uh, nothing will ease this permanent loss and the absence of his, to his, that his family feels, but the newly dedicated skate park in Sacramento will forever be a bright light in the story of this horrific tragedy. When we come forward, more of today's trending news with my experts. Stay on with us right here at KBLA Talk 1580. She's the real deal in real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. The way we spend our time defines who we are. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. Well, we are back. I'm Angelique Francis, and I'm standing in for Ariva Martin today. I am so honored to hang out with you this afternoon. I want to welcome our expert guest, uh, the University of Central Florida professor, Dr. Larry Walker, and L.A. Times reporter Brennan Dixon. Uh, well, hello, guys. What's happening? Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. I understand, uh, Professor Dr. Larry Walker, you are a regular here on Ariva uh, Martin. And um, so I, I know that you got this and you're going to bring an exciting conversation as you always do. And uh, again, it's a pleasure to host you today. Thank you. And Brennan, tell us about you. You're at the L.A. Uh, Times now, and you are joining us for the first time. So this is your maiden vo voyage right here at KBLA. We like it. Tell me about you and your career. What's happening? Why are you here? Uh, I love it. Thank you for having me. My name is Brennan. I work at the L.A. Times. I cover black communities. I am new to the Times, uh, but I bounced around SoCal covering different beats from education to city government. Um, journalism, it, it's a dream. This is all I've wanted to do. I, I went to school for broadcast journalism. It, I was on TV a couple of weeks ago, and it, it's wild to think I'm on radio now. So well, uh, I'm excited to be here. Well, how did you do? How did you do on that t television uh, a couple of weeks ago? Oh, don't ask me, Angelique. <laughs> don't ask me. Ooh, man. No, my I had some sound issues. Uh -oh. uh, it, it was about my first story, Allensworth, which is a town in the Central Valley. First town founded, funded, and governed uh, by escaped slaves, black Black Americans. Interesting. And a great story. Um, I'm not one to hype myself up, but it it was good work. Good work. Well, I met some amazing people, and but yeah, I got invited by MSNBC, and I had some sound issues. You could not make out a word I was saying. So I'm hoping 
the people can hear me today. Okay, well, this is what I'm going to do since you had a little sound issue, and that sounds like a very interesting topic. Uh, give me give me your elevator pitch about it really quickly. Let's just take a, a 30 seconds, if you don't mind, Dr. Walker. Let's see oh, what he's got to say. Let's go. Let's do it. As I said, it's, Tell it's us the about first the town. town mm-hmm. Founded, funded, and governed by Black Americans. Uh, Lieutenant Allensworth, he was an escaped slave. He worked his way up to uh, the highest ranking officer in the army at the time and him and his buddies in Los Angeles, they wanted to uh, found a town that was free from racist ideology. What year are we talking about? 1900s, early, early 1900s. Um, And it it thrived. It it had a post office, a library. The school district was more well-funded than the towns in the white areas. Um, they had a, a beautiful river and the railroad would come by and bring your home that you ordered from a magazine, but racism killed it. They drained the town. They drained the, uh, the tributaries. They moved the railroad station and Colonel Allensworth came down here with a dream of, uh, founding a Tuskegee of the West. And okay. so he came to Monrovia to get some state support and he was hit by a motorcycle and killed. Um, depending on who you ask, right? It's an accident. <laughs> exactly, and, and exactly. Not not a lot of people get hit by a motorcycle stepping off a curb too often, right. but it's a little sketchy. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the town slowly started to fade away, and today there is a historic state park that resembles what the town center would be uh, back in the day, and um, the state is giving them forty million dollars to revamp the area. They're going to have a new visitor center. And the dream is to build farming academies. So the area would have an economic engine. You would you would go there. You would learn to farm. You uh, finish school, and there's land out there. So maybe you get land. Okay. They're they're really trying to revamp everything from the ground up. Like truly, the soil uh, has arsenic. Okay. In it. It, it's poisonous. Uh, the the water supply because of uh, of the work in the past when they drained the rivers. So there there's a lot that needs to be done. But there are people like uh, like Dennis. And they're, they're just getting it done. It, okay. it, it's honestly inspiring. Thank you, Brennan. Thank you for filling in the gaps of my education. I appreciate that. And I know <laughs> I know a lot of people don't know that much about Allensworth. So now we have a little glimpse. So let's uh, let's get this conversation started. Dr. Walker. Huh? There's so much going on in the news, as always. <laughs> uh, where are you right now? Where are you calling from? I'm in Maryland right now, but most of yeah, obviously I see, spend most of my time in Florida, but I'm in Maryland right now. So okay, all right. Well, we're glad to have you right here in the heart of Los Angeles and and every place else that people listen in. Um, Dr. Walker, talk to me about what it means from a historical perspective to have a former president and current presidential candidate to have surrendered to the law. <laughs> today in this criminal case. Uh, you know, talk to me about what is going on with uh, your ex-president, <laughs> your former president. <laughs> yeah, it's it's wild and crazy times. Uh, you know, I know I've, I've said this on the show before, but I'm a former congressional, senior congressional staffer. Oh, wow. So, you know, um, you know, I've never would have imagined <laughs> that we would be here at any point with any president of the United States. Well, they, I thought they might have tried to do this to Barack, but it didn't happen. They mm-hmm, tried. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, I, it's just it's really is a sad, sad time for the, for the United States. And we're, we're really at, a, at an inflection point. And if we're not very careful, this is going to teeter either way. And so this has been even though he's you know been indicted 
and we already already seen what's happened has been reported in the in the uh, what's it forty plus page indictment in terms of him lying about having the documents when it convinces attorneys to lie about not having the documents and then um you know shifting them around so to speak like it's a, a some kind of game like it's monopoly or something right shifting some of the documents around to hide them but he's in a lot of hot water um this has really been like a circus and obviously we're just getting started it's going to get worse i'm quite sure he's going to get indicted for the january 6th insurrection is involved in that and also obviously the um the, the case in georgia um, in which he tried to convince the secretary of state and governor to find some votes right. for the election. Whatever you have um, but to But overall, do. <laughs> it's a sad day for the United States and mm. troubling times for Donald Trump. Well, you know, people were talking about, will he show up? Of course he'll show up because that just gives him more face time, in my opinion, and more time to sort of, you know, wink, wink to his uh, his supporters, right? So it, yeah. it, it makes him, uh, it's a strange time. I'm not so sure if it doesn't also elevate him with some people that maybe aren't rational thinkers like he is, right? I'm going to talk about one of the, the guys from the uh, from from that from the erection that um, insurrection that uh, you know is very proud to call him a father figure. That's very troubling to me. <laughs> it is, yeah, it is very troubling. Call, calling someone, uh, you know, listen, we all you know in the black community, particularly, we all you know call someone uncle or unk or, you know, you know, that's, that's, you know, we have, we, we have these familial bonds, so we know what that's like in the black community, but I don't think you want to call it twice indicted <laughs> former president of the United States, like a father figure. He's more like, he's more like the, the person your father would say, don't be like. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then I always thought when I heard that, I thought, Hmm, I wonder what your, ch- what Trump's children uh, think. I'm sure they'd welcome it to the family. Maybe I'm not sure. <laughs> So let me ask you a couple of other questions. Um, Well, what, you know, him surrendering or not surrendering to this criminal case, what, what, how significant was it to have him come forward and invisibly, and I know, you know, it's going to be on every news outlet, it's going to be large and everyone's talking about it today. How significant is this in terms of the case going forward? Yeah, you know, I think you're right. He had to show up, right? He didn't want U.S. Marshals, no. <laughs> you know, dragging him out of Mar-a-Lago. That, you know, that's not the kind of TV he wants. He always wants to mm-hmm. seem like he's like this oversized figure. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a man of men kind of thing. Um, but like I said, you know, and I, even I think after the, the arraignment, I think he was like a coffee shop or something. So he loves, you, you hit on it before, he loves all the television, mm-hmm. all the exposure. It feeds his ego. But I got to tell you, as I said a few minutes ago, he's in very serious trouble. And look, I'm not a legal analyst, but um, you certainly haven't seen this level of corruption at, at from the, you know, in terms of the White House. Right. Um, obviously, we have people like Clinton, et cetera, have gotten themselves in trouble, but nothing like this about classified top secret documents and shifting them away so the FBI and our, the National Archives can't find them. Um, but this is, like I said, it's just wild time. It's going to get worse next year. Well, it's going to get worse. <laughs> and he's still running, planning on running for president. That See, that's that gets worse to me. It just, just that whole idea. Well, how do you, how do you think? Well, let me ask Brennan this. Brennan, how do you think mainstream news media ought to cover Donald Trump's presidential candidate in light of everything that's going on? I think if I had the answer to that, I'd be a well-paid man. Uh, no, no, I, 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 it's, it's mind blowing. Like, like listening to you guys talk about it. What I keep going back to is uh, I'm on Twitter a lot and I've seen pictures of the boxes dumped in, on a stage, like just stacked on a stage. They're 
They're in a shower next to a toilet and a bathroom. They're just all over the place. And I can't imagine how somebody didn't sneak a peek. Uh, and the mm. the materials that are listed, it's, it's nuclear secrets of America. It's five eyes only, which sounds like a secret G.I. Joe clan. <laughs> right. It's really hard. Right. But, you know, it's just like a, a true spy novel uh, being played out, which which is shocking in and of itself because you think of it like a movie. But it's our former president who's responsible for it. I feel like you 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 got to go back to the journalism ideals. You you play it fair. And that doesn't mean you always give everybody airtime. You give everybody equal airtime. I think you call him out when he says something that's wrong. I think, uh, you know, as he said, like the media coverage, he loves that. I, I saw a video where he was talking to a room full of people and, and, and people from all backgrounds, black, white, uh, Latino, they were asking for pictures with him. They were asking for internships with him, the, the young man that I saw. So it's, you, you got to think outside of yourself. You may have your opinion, um, you know, as a writer, but you just, you write it as it is. He's done this. He's done that. This is what's happening. Um, and yeah, you, you just let the people decide, right? I, I'll be quite honest with you. I was, you know, happy that Ariva trusted me to uh, bring you on and host the two of you in these important conversations. But I, t I have had to tune out recently. I, I just can't sign up for the level of, uh, you know, commitment. I just can't be as committed to this in terms of what we're going to see and what's going on and where we're going with this. Right. Um, Interesting. What are your thoughts about um, mainstream media, uh, Dr. Uh, Larry Walker? You know what? I, I gotta, I gotta say that I think the media, um, you know, describe the mainstream media has really failed this country. Mm -hmm. And this is no, this is no shot of my colleague. I know, but in um, <laughs> many, we've written. Brennan, Brennan knows it's true. <laughs> right, right. We're talking about it's the community anyway. Talking right, this is a community conversation, mm -hmm. even though we're on the radio. Mm -hmm. But there's been a failure. I think a lot of the failure, what you see, what you just saw with uh, uh, the, the departure of this of the CEO of CNN, mm. is that you have people predominantly who are white, particularly male, who do not who view um, the comments or the racial the racist comments that Donald Trump and other uh, individuals from kind of the right wingers that make comments and the, and the legislation they propose. They see it as kind of like, well, we have to, and it's go back to my colleague's point about journalism, right? They're stuck in this idea that you got to have both sides. There's really no both sides to anti-blackness, right? right? There's anti-blackness and there's anti-blackness, right? So, you know, the counter to that, obviously, is more progressive ideas. But the reality is we've seen consistently all the major platforms have really, they struggled a few years ago. You thought that they would have recovered, mm -hmm. you know, because they know he lies consistently. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. obviously CNN just like two weeks ago has a town hall and he does what he's been doing for the last several years. And, and, he, last several and he got he got people out and people are listening and maybe it's not the as big of the crowds. I, I don't know how big the crowd is, but he, there's a risk that we run that millions and millions of money and free media will happen as a result. I mean, I'm even thinking about Stormy Daniels like it's all of it. It's all of it. It's a really sad. Yes, I agree. It's a scary. I mean, you didn't say scary. You said sad times. It's a scary and sad time, in my opinion. Um, let me just ask, Professor, um, do you think this indictment could rip even deeper divides in an already, you know, difficult environment within this country? 
So, you know, I think that's a really important point. You know, I really would say that you know, there's a lot of conversation about this country being divided. The country's always been divided. That's true. Right. It would, like when is it? And I know, you know, you see people like make comments during, you know, certainly when Trump was president and, and post. It's like, you know, the great make America great again. When was America great for black folks? Like, really? <laughs> so black folks have literally been catching hell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> since 1619. Right. So we've had ebb and flow. Like right now, the the um, black unemployment rate is extremely low, right? As low as it's ever been. At one point, it's gone below 5%. So, you know, this is much better economic times. But the reality is, economically, politically, socially, we've consistently faced challenges. So the country's always divided. But if one of the thing I want to highlight is I write a lot about history from a historical perspective. If you go back to like the Red Summer of 1919, the Civil Rights Movement, there's always been a response from the majority of Americans when there's perceived progress by black folks. And we're in one wow. of those other times. Wow. Mm. What do you think about that, Brennan? You're a little younger, um, not taking anything away from your level of wisdom. But what do you think about that? Um, I, I, again, I, I like history myself and I feel we have seen waves like, you know, you make progress. We're back. We make progress. We're back. I'm curious to see where we go from here. I mentioned I covered education and that this kind of may not touch on it, but I am excited to see what these youth do. These youth are so involved nowadays. Like I've been to protests on campuses. They speak their minds. And, you know, when when I'm in certain spheres, I think, what would a young person do right now? What would they say? And what would they do if they have the power? So that's I, I'd like to think I'm, I'm an optimistic guy. And I have hope thinking about just the future. Like right now, we may be going through it. But this is just the response to progress, as you said, Dr. Walker. And in five years from now, uh, hopefully all this is behind us. Maybe, you know, what what are things looking like then? And I, I like to think things will be pretty positive because these youngins are coming up and and they've they've seen this drama and they, they don't want to deal with it anymore. It seems like so I, I like to think that we'll we'll respond to this response. Well, I don't know, Dr. Uh, <laughs> Professor Walker, what do you think? Do you think it's going to happen in five years that you see this next generation coming up that are a little bit more uh, woke, if you will, or, you know, whatever, or informed or passionate or a little bit op- more open-minded about some things? Do you think five years is going to make that big of a shift in difference? Let me say first that we do know from, you know, if you look at research study like uh, Pew Center, et cetera, you see that young folks have more perfect ideas about LGBTQ community plus sure. community, sure. Um, you know, all these other issues. So I would say that I, I, I agree with my colleague. I, I, it, it's certainly because of the ebb and flow. And I do think that what's happening is, you know, a lot of young people, you know, children, adolescents live through COVID, um, a racial, a racial upheaval. And so what's happening is those folks, whether whatever side of the dividing line they fall on, I think you're going to, you're going to continue to see more people, more young people who are going to be actively involved in our, in our political process. We had our first, um, uh, you know, really young person elected uh, the congressman out of Central Florida um, just a couple months ago. So I think you're going to see more and more young people um, get involved in the political process. Okay. Well, this is all great. So, you know, we're going to, I want to bring up another conversation sort of about this guy, you know, who was in Kansas, but we're going to do that when we come forward uh, more with my expert uh, contributors, Professor Dr. Larry Walker and LA Times reporter Brennan Dixon when we come forward. Ariva time is the right time. More Ariva in real time when we come forward. Longer-lasting sense. There's no time like the present. Let's get back to more of Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. 
All right. Welcome back. If you're just joining me, I'm just Angelique Francis. I'm not the amazing Ariva Martin, but I am standing in for her today, and I'm so happy to do it. We have a couple of amazing guests, I am happy to say. We've got Professor Dr. Larry Walker and L.A. Times reporter Brennan Dixon. We were just joining us in this conversation. Uh, I was just getting ready to ask you guys a little bit about, you know, you know, the case in Kansas, Um the video of the police, of the three people, you know, three cops tackling the gentleman. He was white. He said he had a receipt. It was over a pizza box. That was a lot. And when I saw one of the officers put his knees in the back of the man's neck, I couldn't help but think about George Floyd. All right. How, how can you not? And any other man who is about to lose his life for no reason. So I was I was I just remember how traumatized I was even at seeing that image one more time. Um Sadly, this is, yes, this should not happen to any human being, but this happens to my community all the time. And that's what was really startling about it. Yes, I I felt for this gentleman. He had a receipt and said repeatedly, I have a receipt. And there was just no attention paid to it and nothing. Dr. Larry, what what, what do we do about this? What, What did you see? What do you think about this? There's another example of you know, law enforcement just doing too much, right? They do <laughs> you know, the most, uh, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I want to go back and just the history, short history here, that, you know, because now, you know, now uh, presidential campaign, presidential candidate Tim Scott mm. killed the, the George Floyd Policing Act <laughs> mm. uh, several months ago. So I'm bring, I'm highlighting that because if that bill had passed the Senate and the House had been signed, uh, maybe what we saw wouldn't have occurred. And, uh, and uh, you may highlight a good point about him being white. And we know that this happens to black and brown communities all the time, particularly black folks are two to three times more likely to be killed by law enforcement just based just because of our interactions, simple interactions cause our death. And we see that in a lot of these videos. Um, but once again, this is another uh, example. And that Kansas City, you know, Kansas City has a, has a reputation that that police department. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's unfortunate. And, you know, we got to make sure people, you know, individuals constitutional rights aren't being infringed on. But listen, I've seen things like that in person. Exactly. <laughs> so um, it's it's part for the course for black people. But once again, we can't allow law enforcement to to behave that way when it comes to dealing with citizens. Right. And this is not a bashing on um, <laughs> cops for a while. This is this is a conversation about bad cops. And I, I actually um, went to a golf tournament yesterday and was playing with um, lots of police uh, were there, and I felt a level of trauma rising up. In my own spirit. I mean, everyone said, oh, it was a beautiful course. It was a nice day. The weather was great. But this idea that I was um, surrounded by 100 to 200 officers that may or may not be bad cops was really uncomfortable for me. Yeah, you know what? And that, you know, like, you know, I have met, you know, people, friendly friends, fraternity brothers who work with law enforcement. Sure, sure. Um, but, you know, it, it is there's a level of consistent trauma to black folks that we talk about George Floyd. I, you know, I have a son, a college age son. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very difficult, you know, cause you know, I write about racism mm-hmm. and, you know, being a black man and coming on platforms like Reba show and talking to people like you and my colleague about these issues. It is a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate we have to deal with this, but there, there is a level of cautiousness when I'm in my car, if I see a car, if I see a police car behind me, mm-hmm. like a lot of black folks, I'm aware Mm-hmm. And I have to constantly process what happens if I get stopped. Where's my wallet? Um, don't make any sudden movements. 
do I need to film all these other things that come with, you know, unfortunately being, you know, black America. Right. I mean, Brennan, why do you think these officers continue to engage in these aggressive behaviors despite I mean, they're, they're also some of them are also being charged with crimes. What is going on? Why do you think this is consistent? And at what point in time do you think this might change? You're you're you know, you're the optimist on the line. Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I'm the optimist, but I'm also the I don't know, man, because I'm hitting you with a second. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like I it, it, it blew my mind. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned he, he showed he had a receipt, but you had other people yelling. He paid. He was in line next to us. And then there was a quote from the news release, you know, and and you've heard this a million times, Dr. Walker, the officers will be held accountable. Hmm. And I I wanted to I wanted I was, you know, being a journalist, I was posing questions in my head. What does accountability look like? Like if you have people yelling, no, he paid. He was in line next to me. You would you would think they'd stop. You think they'd look for the receipt. Like what is accountability here? And I I wanted to pick your guys' brains on that, like. What does it look like? Because I'm at a loss. I think that's a good question, Doctor. What does it look like? I, I think that they have to be. They have to be on a, uh, put them on an unemployment line. You, I mean, it, there's basic. You know, they were. You know, police officers receive a lot of training before they become law enforcement, and even though, even throughout that, right, even throughout their time as, as police officers, and it's just like my colleague. It's basic common sense. If you have people yelling, he has a receipt, and he's like literally holding a receipt in his hand. I mean, the first thing you want to do is see if he has a receipt before you tackle him. And listen, the key thing about it is, you know, the human body is fragile. So when you tackle someone and then you, and then you put a knee in it, you, you, you never know how the body is going to respond. He could have went to cardiac arrest. Exactly. And this, once again, this would have been a much larger story mm-hmm. um, of these consistent stories we're reading about. But um, it, it troubles me that they didn't use basic common sense. You can't have people like that um, patrolling neighborhoods mm-hmm. when they didn't even use basic common sense. To see if the gentleman had a receipt, they're a danger to the community. Yeah, you know, there was a community. I, I'm from, I've been living in New York for 30 years and just came back to Los Angeles. And there was um, some young kids, they were middle school kids, and they were having a snowball fight back um, about 10 years ago in my community in New Rochelle. And at that snowball fight, someone called the cops because I guess they perceived these black and brown kids as troublemakers. They were just having a snowball fight. So two cop cars arrived, jumped out of the car, uh, pulled out guns at gunpoint. These, put, these kids are in the snow, in their snowsuits, basically, okay? Hand behind the heads, faces down in the um, snow. Took off, you know, a couple of them took off running, like I probably would have as well. And they were chased down. And this was all on film, body between their body cams and a, a neighbor was filming. And you just say, Really? At what point, when this, when uh, talking about the case, when they rolled over the guy with the pizza box, are you kidding me? He was laying on the receipt. The receipt literally was under his body. I just don't understand what it looks like. I don't even have a vision anymore of what good policing looks like. So well, when you ask for an ex- what was what was it back in the day? Like what? Which like, day are you, you talking about? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, what, what was it like? 
I wanted to ask Dr. Walker, since you have a son. Since Dr. Have, Walker, you look like the older elder on the group. Go ahead. Nah. Tell us. <laughs> well, that, that's because Angelique only looks 22. Out here. <laughs> I like you know? it. I like it. You're going to come but, back. Uh, but I wanted to know if you, if you had the talk, Dr. Walker, because my dad, he had the talk with me. You know, if you ever get pulled over, do do this and that. And that's something I consciously go in like, okay, I'm going to put my wallet in the middle console. Should I do that? Because if I reach into the middle console, what's that going to look like? Like, I, it's just like, has this always been something that's on your mind, Dr. Walker? Or it, like, has it progressively gotten worse? Yeah, this is, you talked about the talk. I, and actually it's funny you, you highlighted that because I've actually written about that. <laughs> I've written about it. I, I think I'm with my university. I think I wrote an op-ed about that. And I believe I wrote something about that, um, uh, think for Ebony or Jet dot com a few years ago okay i wrote about that but okay so before i have to go forward to it right you have to tell me right now give me give me some pointers for people listening what does the talk sound like because it's a hard talk to have give me it the key elements difficult. of that talk uh being honest okay right and understand some people blue view your place in the world differently than the people that love you mm -hmm. and i think that's another and also being cautious mm -hmm. and understand Unfortunately, you can be the victim of violence, particularly when it comes to law enforcement, and have nothing to do with who you are as a person. But it really has everything to do with people who devalue your humanity. Mm. Um, and then always the other thing is always remember family loves you and always has your back. Wow, those are very good. I hope you've written about this in the book. So when we come forward, we're going to talk more with our uh, contributors, Professor Larry uh, Walker and L.A. Times reporter Brennan Dixon. All of this on KBLA Talk 1580. She's the real deal. In real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. The way we spend our time defines who we are. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. Well, we are here. This is Ariva Martin real time. I'm Angelique Francis. I'm just standing in for her today. And we've got Dr. Larry Walker and Brennan on the line. Uh, hey, guys. So you heard about this whole thing that happened in New York, New York subway uh, choking case, right? Has this new twist. Um, says we're black and we has a new twist. And what happened is the, the professor, this is going to go to you, the former Marine who choked a homeless man to death on subway several weeks ago, produced a video where he claims he didn't really mean to kill Jordan Neely. And that the eyewitnesses had account had that he had only restrained him, not for 15 minutes, but really more for five minutes. I mean, I don't know. This is a lot. This came from his um, representation. They put it out there. What do you think about this videotape? Did you guys check it out? Anybody see that? I've only saw like a few short clips because once <laughs> again, you talked about the issue of trauma. Yeah. And there are times when I have to check out. And, mm -hmm. that, and that, watching that video is really tough. Mm -hmm. um, and I have to say, the idea he said I only choked him for five minutes and not 15. Exactly. It literally only takes a few seconds for you to choke someone before they're unconscious. So the idea he's like, oh, I only choked him for maybe five minutes. It's still, for me, uh, ridiculous. <laughs> and it speaks also how we, once again, a point about when we don't value other people's humanity. Exactly. He didn't value his humanity. Because you don't restrain someone, you know, putting your, you know, your arm around their neck. Because obviously we know from common sense that you can kill someone. Especially that he was trained as a Marine. He understands he understands mm -hmm. violence, right? Mm -hmm. So on a certain level of some kind of level in terms of, you know, being trained for combat. Absolutely. So uh, it's inexcusable and it's murder and he should go to jail. 
Yes, he should. And okay, as a journalist, Brennan, uh, from a media and court of you know public opinion, do you think that um, video helps or hurts Daniel Penny's case? Uh, I'm like Dr. Walker. I I have been uh, I'm at a loss for words. It's watching these videos really takes a toll on me. I like and I, I cover black communities, so I feel like I need to watch some of these videos, but. I just can't make it through anymore. And I, I'm an emotional rock. Like I, I'm not one dude who gets, you know, gets, I don't know, sad very easily. But so I, I can't speak to that. But one thing I, I will that caught my ear while I was reading and, and listening to everything was uh, nobody asked. No one on the train asked Jordan, quote, what's wrong? How can I help you? And that's something that I think we could all do more in life. And I will share my experiences on the Metro. So I lived up in San Jose in high school. I worked at Old Navy for five years and I would get out at midnight, 1, 1 a.m. closing. And I would walk 10 minutes to the Metro station and I would take the Metro home for an hour. Uh, mm -hmm. It's it's the light rail up in the Bay Area. Came down to SoCal. You know, you hear things about the Metro system. I don't have a car. I got to get around. So whatever, I'm on this metro system. So I've, I've spent a lot of time on public transportation. And I can't say, like, I when I see people coming on having health crises or, you know, mm -hmm. mumbling to themselves, mm -hmm. I'm not one to get scared, but I'm not going out of my way to ask them, hey, are you okay? Can mm -hmm. I help you? Mm -hmm. And I, I would like to think I would if I saw some violence happen on the train. But there was a time where I was sitting there and a Two gentlemen walked on the train. Uh, you know, they, they looked to be unhoused. And one was playing uh, music, uh, let's celebrate, on his radio station, okay. on, on his boombox. And the gentleman he got on the train with told him to turn it down. And the guy didn't. So we hit the next stop. And people get on. And they start singing. And it seems like good vibes. And uh, next thing you know it, one guy jumps on the pole like a sloth and proceeds to bicycle kick the guy until he's bloody and he's hurt and they're yelling at each other and the whole train goes running to the back and i just stayed in my seat because one i didn't think they were gonna mess with me um you know you stay out of it but it, i think at that time like i could have asked the guy something like because the, the 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 assault guy he he jumped off the train and the victim was just standing there and the, the sheriffs were on the on the platform like we got off the train and the sheriffs were just standing there nobody said anything and so i think about times like that where you you could look, you have an idea for how you act, but I think we should all keep in mind that, you know, we, we value each other. We, we should value each other and ask people, hey, are you doing okay? Because if in that moment, while, while he's getting choked out, if somebody were to, hey, stop, or if somebody were to intervene in that situation, we're probably not talking about this. And, and, and it's easy to say, because, but I'm thinking back to, my situation on the Metro, I didn't get up and I didn't say anything. So I think that's just something to take away is let's value each other more and, and let's well, be sure to. You know, actually thank you. Thank you for that, Brennan. And I'm you know, that reminds me of uh, I want to bring up another point, And this is a good segue to that is Garth Brooks. Right. And his new restaurant in Tennessee. Um, <laughs> he's got a lot of flack going on right now about this restaurant and with Miller uh, Bud Light with Bud Light in the comments that were made. And does everybody know? Let me just tell you. So, so this is a little bit about what happened. Country music star Garth Brooks on Monday addressed critics after he said his bar would serve Bud Light and other comments. And again, he wants customers to show tolerance. 
uh, the friends in low places at the name of the bar. He's, he, of course, you know, Garth Brooks. He's a singer, music uh, hall of famer. And he's opening this new bar in Nashville. And because Bud Light uh, decided to do a campaign with some um, with a transgender person for the first time, who was also an influencer, they got a problem with that. And so people are boycotting. And basically, Garth says, I'm going to be me, whether you guys like it or not. I care about tolerance. I care about people walking into my place and feeling safe. So that's kind of what you're talking about, Brendan, right? Some level of humanity. What do you think? Definitely. Well, he's getting a lot of he's getting a lot of flack for it. I'm sure he is, but I I respect him for stepping up and throwing out his opinion because I'm not the biggest country music fan, and I I don't really care what celebrities think, but people out there do, and that is going to have uh, it's gonna it could sway some minds. It, It could show that. You know, there's another way of thinking here and we don't have to be bigoted or we don't have to be hateful. Like, it, it's just tolerance, you know, just it's not affecting me. Let them go and do their life like that. I I respect it. I, I think that uh, if if he feels strongly enough um, to have an opinion, then he should come out and say it. And he is. Absolutely. What about you, Dr. Larry? Let's listen with your comments, because I really um I think that we we want and we trust that humanity shows up in uh, sometime in dark places, but sometimes it just doesn't show up. I'm happy whether I'm a, a Garth Brooks fan or not that someone took a stand. What do you think? Yeah, you know it, it, it's it's interesting because um, you know obviously you say Garth, Garth Brooks is a, a country music icon. He's been out for right, years, forever. Um, mm-hmm. Had a lot of a lot of. Um, success i'm going to admit that when you're rich it's easy to take stands mm-hmm. and not have to worry about the consequences mm-hmm. let, me, let me put that out there <laughs> I, the second point is i didn't know that garth books had a very progressive history here so do some reading um even before you know um came on the show tonight i've been reading the last couple of days about his comments that he's very been always historically very progressive so mm-hmm. kudos to him mm-hmm. i think a lot of this is just once i, t- I said at the beginning of the show about an inflection point that there's a lot of there's a push and pull going on in this country and where what direction we go in, it, it will it, it really will depend on how we value other people mm-hmm. and what, what we can do to make sure those individuals that don't see other people's humanity, we can prevent them from maintaining power mm-hmm. and passing bills that make the lives of other people difficult simply because we're in another we're in another stage and we talk about history, another culture war. This country stays in culture wars. Mm. Every two, three years we've got a culture war. If it's you know, I miss the days when people were mad about, you know, President Obama's tan suit. You know, now we, oh, <laughs> now man. we got, those are good old times. Now right. we got indicted exactly. presidents. But uh, exactly. it's all about culture wars now, so. You know, and, and, and you talk about uh, valuing people. I mean, I got one more, a few more minutes with you. Uh, in New York City, this is the beginning of this mandate about minimum wage, right? Uh, lifting minimum wage for uh, workers like the Uber drivers, Grubhub, DoorDash, you know, those paid gig, gig workers. Um, I'm really uh, glad to hear that that is going up. But now we've got people at risk. And so that I think they feel like they're supposed to have another uh, additional price added onto their their, you know, their uh, hourly rate because they're not safe. The environment is creating a place where they just feel a little unsafe. Do you think that is a real issue and should be addressed? Well, so really quickly, I'll say I'm a huge supporter of, of minimum weight, a living, let me put it, living weight. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so we have to make make sure folks can, you know, have the right to take care of themselves. 
And so I support, I I support the, the increase. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, do we think that uh, they, they should workers that are really in the public like this and are interfacing with public and they're, they're not in a public space. Many times they're coming to people's private homes and it's just one-on-one. Do you think that that should uh, be a consideration? Yeah, it's dangerous. Let's 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 be I mean, honest. It's, it's something we live about. in a wild we live in a wild society. You know, people are crazy. You know, we've mm-hmm. seen that from these instances of kids playing outside and being shot at or being shot. So mm-hmm. listen, you know, you you know get the gig economy. You know, people are trying to hustle and make money. And so you know, I don't mind paying a few extra dollars if I can make some more sales as a living wage. And once again, I value those. I value other people. Mm-hmm. So that and I, and it gets to the point I made you know before about you know like I say he, other individuals' humanity. But you got to have a living wage. You have to make sure folks can eat and feed their families. And some people are just trying to put themselves through college. Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely. So listen, I thank you both for coming today. I, I love it. I wish I had more time with you. I certainly, I need to have both of you on the sweet spot sometime, living in the sweet spot yeah. on the weekend on my show. But more no. importantly, thank you for taking this time. You always are. You just made me smarter today. And I appreciate that. Uh, have a good evening. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank, well, you, th- thank you for being with us. Okay. Well, this is KBLA Talk 1580. We got more for you coming up when we come forward. KBLA 1580 Santa Monica. Intel Core Processors. Plus get deals on select accessories and free shipping on everything. Save now by calling 877-ASK-DELL. This is the KBLA Sports Minute with Ray Richardson. Before the Denver Nuggets could pop open their champagne bottles last night, the Osmakers listed them as favorites to run it back and win the NBA title in 2024. It's hard to argue with the folks in Vegas. Former Clippers guard Reggie Jackson played only 14 minutes in the NBA Finals with the Nuggets, but he'll get a championship ring. Jackson was signed by the Nuggets as a free agent on February 14th after he was traded by the Clippers. LAPD detectives believe Crenshaw High School basketball star Quincy Reese may have been an innocent bystander when he was fatally shot outside a party Saturday night in South LA. A community activist said rival gangs showed up at the party and got into an altercation. Reese would have been a senior this fall at Crenshaw. He had a 3.4 GPA and offers from more than 50 small colleges. No debates, no speculation, just the info you need. That's your KBLA Sports Minute. I'm Ray Richardson. More news, opinions, and conversation when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Is there a better day of the year to celebrate the anniversary of the only unapologetically progressive talk station west of the Mississippi focused on issues that impact the black community? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. We think not. A station that amplifies black voices like yours with hosts and guests who look and sound like you. Celebrating our second anniversary on Juneteenth with KBLA Talk 1580. And you ain't seen nothing yet. yet. Donald Trump appeared in court earlier today in Miami where he pleaded not guilty to a 37 count federal indictment based on mishandling of classified documents that the FBI found in his Florida home last year. 
Another part in the news is country music star Garth Brooks on Monday addressed critics after he said his bar would serve Bud Light and other comments and again said he wants customers to show tolerance. The Friends in Low Places uh, bar is going to be run by singer and country music hall of famer. And, you know, this is really an amazing thing that he wants. He wants his bar to feel inclusive. So kudos to uh, Garth Brooks. Also in the news is two Kansas City police officers have disciplined, been disciplined and charged for dropping against a man and held him down in a Walmart last weekend. And in this incident, it captured on video, a man said that his 24-year-old nephew was taken to the ground and held down by officers after he was accused of stealing a pizza Thursday in video of being pinned down. He was pinned down by three cops. Well, that's all on TikTok. Check it out. New York City began mandating its first minimum wage for app-based delivery workers Monday, forcing a long-awaited shift in how popular platforms like Uber, Grubhub, and DoorDash pay gig workers. Well, you know this month is June is African American Music Appreciation Month. Created by Jimmy Carter in 1979, this month celebrates the African American musical influences that compromise and comprise of a central part of our nation's treasured culture heritage. Formerly called the National Black Music Month, the celebration of African Americans' uh, music contributions is reestablished annually by presidential proclamations. And here to help us celebrate, we're going to have shortly of Asal Benford. We'll, we'll look forward to her as well. Also, uh, Donald Trump appeared in court earlier today in Miami where he pleaded not guilty. Okay, we've already done that. All right, well, coming up, we have our next guest. I'm really excited. My name is Angelique Francis. I'm standing in for Reva Martin live, and uh, this is really exciting. I have a couple of new guests, and because it's Music Month, we're going to have the CEO of the of the B.B. King uh, estate and Ariane Johnson uh, join us in the second half. But first, I want to bring in our new guest, uh, Vasal. How are you? It's so nice to meet you. Tell us about who you are and why you are here. Vasal, you're unmute. Hello, hello. Okay, well, Andy, I know they're coming. I know they're coming. You guys have to unmute. Okay, so let's, I tell you what, let's, when we come forward, we're going to have uh, the group that's coming in from B.B. King. We're going to talk about his estate and all that he did and what we can do to uh, protect money going forward. And we're going to do that all right here on KBLA Talk 1580. She's the real deal. In real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. There's no the present. Let's get back to more of Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. All right. Well, I'm Angelique Francis, and I'm standing in for Ariva Martin in real time, and I'm excited. We are talking about um, just some music history, and we have the CEO of the Bedford Company, which is the B.B. King Estate. He's the chairman, rather, of the B.B. King Estate, and um, welcome to uh, our show, Vasal. Vassal, what is your, uh, Vassal Benford, correct? Yes. All right. Well, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. it's. I see all those uh, awards behind your head. Those, those, those kind of a beautiful thing. I. How many uh, Grammys did B.B. Um, King have in total? 
Uh, he, he won 15 Grammys in total. Mm-hmm. And, uh, several music awards. Uh, and uh, he was just uh, all around great, great, great uh, artist. Absolutely. And I know he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Hall of fame. and Absolutely. the Blues Hall of Fame. Right. Absolutely. And I remember Absolutely. as a little kid, my dad used to love him and he would always talk about his guitar, Lucille. So that was my dad. Lucille. My dad always talked about Lucille. He said, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go. Uh, he said, I'm going to go hang out with Lucille tonight. I knew that meant he was going to hang out with B.B. King. <laughs> if, if you look, uh, well, if you can see way back there, you'll see two original Lucilles back there on the couch right there. Oh, see? I love it. I love it. Yeah. Wonderful. So, yeah, t- so tell me what's going on. I, I, I've lived in New York for many years. There was B.B. King's on 42nd Street. I used to go hang uh, out and yeah, see some great yeah, artists stuff. there, of course. Yeah. Um, tell us about what the state is doing right now and what's going on. Well, what we're doing now is we're putting together, we're planning a biopic for uh, 2024, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we've got some pretty big actors, pretty big producers, pretty big directors, uh, that, and pretty big artists that are going to be involved with uh, bringing the movie forth. And so we're, we're planning his biopic, and uh, he's got uh, quite a new new products and restaurants and all sorts of stuff, all sorts of ventures that are going to be open. Oh, I love it. Excellent. Is it going to be similar to the one that was in New York on 42nd Street? Uh, I like the one on 42nd Street, but it's going to be better. Okay. <laughs> I like better. Yeah. I always like better. <laughs> so, you know, I'm curious what kind of impact you think that B.B. King had on black music in its uh, in its entirety. Oh, I think B.B. King has had an impact on the world globally on music, period. Black music, white music, rock music, every sort of culture, every sort of, you know, because the blues is the crux of music. I mean, it is you know, American music. So, uh, you know, from everybody from U2 to Bon, uh, you know, uh, Rolling Stones to Elvis Presley, B.B. King has had an influence on everyone. Okay, I'm loving it. And and who, I mean, I know you uh, have artists come forward all the time and talk about what kind of influence that he made on Absolutely. them. What are some of the artists today that you know for a fact um, were influenced heavily by B.B. King? Well, here's the interesting thing. Uh, about a year ago, uh, Drake, Lil Wayne, and DJ Khaled did the BB King freestyle, and it it really woke the the state up. Uh, we responded to that, and now we've got a new album coming out uh, with uh, Mr. King, and it's called the uh, the BB King Freestyle Album. Okay. And we've got like uh, French Montana, uh, Jason Derulo, a lot of major artists. Uh, Sway Lee, who are going to be on the record. And so it, it involves a lot of young talent and some of the old traditional talent. Okay, that sounds exciting. When is, um, so the, the album is called what? Freestyle? B- 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 the BB King Freestyle. Okay, okay, okay. I'm going to have to check that out. Mm-hmm. And all you listeners are going to have to check it out as well. Well, let's see. I got a couple other questions for you. Managing his estate. I remember reading something where um, it talked about, uh, did, did he have 15 children? Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. And and that he left um, a portion of uh, his dynasty to each of them. Um, mm-hmm. But really this conversation about how, in, in particular, black and brown artists, American artists, African-American musicians, how they often wind up broke, if you would pardon yes. the way yeah. I'm talking about it. I mean, it's heartbreaking <laughs> because so many, sometimes it's the record company, sometimes it's the deals, sometimes it's the mismanagement of their own money. 
Yeah, well, you know, uh, me running the estate, uh, the one thing that you see is all of the where all the bodies are buried, right? And so mm. you understand uh, what's really going on with the estate. And what I learned about Mr. King, he just really wanted to play his guitar and be a great artist. He didn't really think about business as much, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that's my job. So I've gotten in and straightened that out, and the estate is very healthy, doing very, very well. And in mm -hmm. dollars. Hmm. Well, uh, I want I want to know what are those tips if you were sitting with some new musicians right now and 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 you came in and did a little you know workshop or a little TED talk. What would what would mm -hmm. be those top five things that you tell them? I will tell them the first thing. Number one is that. Uh, the show business is 80% business and 20% show. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Keep yeah, going. Let's, let's start there. I, I get know? it, but why don't you elaborate on that? Because that's not a bad idea for people in general, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whether well, you're in the business you know, or not. 80% business and 20% show. And, you know, uh, you sh as an artist should always be paid for whatever it is you're doing. I don't care if you're just uh, moving around your, your instrument, you know, whatever you're doing, you should be paid for it. And, uh, you know, also, uh, you know, bringing your value up and working on your craft is super important. You know, Mr. King was, you know, he was just a perfectionist. He was just excellent. You know, he could change a string in the middle of a show. Like if his string broke, he'd keep on going. You know, he was the ultimate performer. Wow. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I love performance. I've worked on stage, behind scenes, um, and I, I love musicians. And it's something about uh, their freedom and their discipline to music, but doesn't always translate to discipline in their lives, both Absolutely. from having healthy bodies and making healthy choices. You know, um, how does that show up? Not just in uh, Mr. King's life, but in other musicians. And how, how do we get on yeah, a little well, more balanced you know, life, you know? Yeah, well, the entertainment business in general has a lot of, uh, let's see, what should I call it, um, vices mm -hmm. uh, that, that present themselves, you know, mm -hmm. whether it be uh, too many, um, uh, you know, too much drugs or too much drinking or too much whatever it is. It always presents itself. I think it all depends on the person and their discipline and their respect for themselves and their audience. And, you know, a lot of times adulation can cause you to think that it's all you. But, you know, a lot of these, like Mr. King, he's, he's God gifted, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. he, he was a great guy mm -hmm. all the way around. So, you know, there's not an artist that I know that doesn't love Mr. King. And right. even even a lot of the um, uh, uh, the directors, you know, uh, like Martin Scorsese and people like that, they love Mr. King. So. I think, you know, it's all about the person that you are, you know, from inside out. Absolutely. But I mean, it's true. I think we do have to figure out how to take better uh, uh, care, not of just of our uh, guitars and our wards, but of our bodies, right? And our temples, our, you know, yep. our bodies from head to yep. toe. So I know that um, Mr. King died in 2015. And <laughs> I am also excited and honored to see that uh, Patty King is joining us. This is one of B.B. Uh, King's uh, daughters. And how are you today, Patty King? Oh, I thought she's coming in on us. Okay, she's gonna she's getting a mic ready, and she's gonna join this conversation. And you know, let's just go back for a second. So we're looking at how do we honor? How do we honor and understand how important BB King's work has been, and how he's made ongoing contributions? How do we support that? Well, and I you know, affirm you, him in a regular basis. I think 
continue to uh, honor his legacy uh, and put out uh, more materials. Uh, we're going to be doing concerts. We're going to be doing films. Uh, we're going to be doing uh, uh, pop-up stores that are in like places like Virgin Hotel. Uh, so What's, what are you going to gonna sell at these stores? I'm just curious. I just well, right up. now we deal with Gibson. You can actually go down to your local guitar center and buy a brand new Gibson guitar, a brand new, uh, uh, you know, replica of Lucille. So ah. we've got Lucille's that are available for guys to buy right now. And uh, pretty soon we'll have jackets, picks, headphones, all those sort of things that are out. And we'll be opening up the restaurants and we'll be opening up so you can see, you know, do it goes to, to some of the tribute concerts and, of course, the film and and many other things that I'm going to come back on your show uh, by the time his birthday. We've got a big announcement for the birthday. So maybe I'll come back on the show with you guys. And then we'll do the big announcement at that time too. I got to keep that. Got to keep a little bit under the wraps. Well, you know? yeah, I know, I understand that. And this is a Reva Martin show, but you can come on my show on a weekend one day and talk about yeah, living in the living in the sweet spot. spot. Whatever show y'all want me to come on, I'll, <laughs> I have a feeling you'll be there. Well, you know, KBLA, we love music here, and you know, following my show on Saturdays, there's something called the Lyric Lounge, and and uh, you know, we do a lot in music, and we celebrate, and this is a, a really important month in history, and I love highlighting how important our musical history is and how it's affected everyone in every way. Is Patty King ready to uh, come on with us? Yes, I am. Oh, hey, Patty King, how are you? Well, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm wonderful. My name is Angelique, and I'm standing in for Ariva Martin on her show today. But it's a pleasure to meet you. We're just talking about your dad and his wonderful uh, contributions to to music in general, but of course, in everything that he's offered in rock and roll as well as blues. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And it is an honor for you to have me on here and to a man that... I owe so much to for all of the things that he is doing, has done to keep my father's legacy alive. And that is Mr. Benford. And uh, I'm always giving honor to who honor is due. So thank you so much. And uh, we, the family, we appreciate everything. We got a lot of stuff that's coming up um, that we're excited about. What are you most excited um, about? <laughs> I'm excited about um, my dad's birthday is approaching, but we have uh, movie deals, a lot of other deals that are going forth. Um, the BB King cartoons, we have... Um, a lot of stuff that's just going on right now. So I guess this is the time and the season uh, for the concerts to be done. Um, like I said, this man is making it happen uh, with my father's estate. And I'm so, I'm so thankful, so honored to have him on our side to do the work that has never been done before. So it's sort of like Star Trek, somebody taking you some places where you've never been before. Ooh, I like that. That's what sounds like. That's something you might want to put on a T-shirt. <laughs> Vasal, are you taking notes? I'm taking notes. 
know well, I know <laughs> September 16th is his birthday. I just looked it up. Oh, so, yeah. so I know that's going to be a big uh, time in your life. You know, we're celebrating Juneteenth coming up next weekend and or, or rather soon. Right. And uh, we're excited about that. But, you know, it's really important that. It's, it's wonderful to tell the stories and let the stories live and talk for themselves. But it's really more wonderful, if you will, to put our, some money behind it right? and, and to, for people to make some money on it. It's great for the folklore, but let's 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 put some dollars behind it. Right. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So, Patty, while I have you, where are you in the 15 children? I am. There's two <laughs> siblings that's younger in it than I am. Okay. So I'm uh, like the third youngest. Okay. And, um, you know, just spending time with my father and he was a family man. I love that. I, I love the Sunday dinners that we have. Uh, we had and um, how he just loved his children, uh, how he wanted us to progress and go forward. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it took a little time to get everything in order to get it, you know, positioned because we didn't have any knowledge of what um, the estate and, 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 and I don't know if you can understand this or not to have a father that is king of the blues worldwide, where people loved him all over the world. I, I, I couldn't understand that because I always looked at the father part of him. Mm -hmm. So I'm the daughter that lived with him. I'm the daughter that made sure that he was fed and you know, prepared his meals when we were going on the road. And mm -hmm. we had a lot of fun memories. We mm -hmm. had a lot of things that we talked about. And you talking about an exciting man, he was. Oh, he absolutely. Was. Yes, it yes. must be. You know, it's a beautiful thing. If anyone's just joined us, we're talking about BB King and um, his birthday is coming up in September, and they are launching movies and merchandise and new restaurants and all kinds of things. Yeah. Did I leave anything out? <laughs> well, we saw. I, I was still trying to get the secret stuff. <laughs> I can't. I can't trick you, huh? And telling us a little bit more. All right, all right. You can't blame a girl for trying. So, Basalt, uh, tell me, you know, well, well, anybody who wants to answer this question, I'm just curious. Um, he, he was born, B.B. King was born in Mississippi, right? In the Nola, Mississippi. In the, in the old, yeah. Okay. September the 16th, 1925. But I heard that his, his birth certificate was missing for a while. So what happened? That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, that maybe that's 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 in my research. That's in my research. Okay, I'll send you. I'll send you the link, and <laughs> you can tell me is a real story or is not. But you know, okay. when you look at your your father's life and what kind of impact he made in music, and you hear people doing um, doing his music and redoing his music, how does that make you feel, Patty? It makes me feel so wonderful to know that he used his gift and his talent, not only just for himself, but for others. Um, at the age of 12, uh, Joe Bonamassa, my father let him open up for him. And he's a very, very 
intelligent, very gifted young man. Uh, there's Carlos Santana. There's um, um, John Mayer. Mm -hmm. There, the list goes on and on and on. Eric Clapton, uh, one of the Beatles that we have, I think for Saul has it at his house, where John Leonard says, I wish I could play the guitar like B.B. King. Mm -hmm. So to hear those things and to know what a blessing he's been to not only us, not only to his children, but to the world. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Vassal, how long have you been managing this state? Uh, for about almost four years now. Okay. So after he passed. After he yeah. passed. Yeah. And yeah. So did you have a chance to meet Mr. King yourself? I did not. And I wish I had, but you know, I, I got to tell you something. I feel <laughs> as if I know the man and I represent the estate in a way that would be honorable to what he may have wanted. Mm -hmm. So I don't make decision unless I think about and also consult the family and, and think about what he may have wanted the estate to be ran like. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. How important is you? To, you know, you you are looking at this legacy artist, and you are trying to do your best to keep this legacy, his legacy, alive and significant. Mm -hmm. um, how what keeps you motivated to do that every day? Well, you got to remember, I come from a long history of making hit records and producing a lot of. But I don't know artists. this. Tell us about that. What's yeah, your history? So I, I, I produced uh, Tony Braxton. Mm -hmm. I produced Mariah Carey. I produced. I discovered Deborah Cox. Okay. Uh, I've films. I've had New Jack City, House Party. I produced U2. I produced Bon Jovi, Richie Sambora, Aerosmith. Er, 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 so I, I understand artists. Okay. And, and you know, I'm a Grammy-nominated uh, producer. So I, I totally understand the whole gamut of it. So I've had 50, 60 Platinums that I produced on my own. Mm -hmm. So Excellent. Artists, uh, that, Diplo, movies, I produce stuff with power. I, I do a lot of stuff. So... I understand the whole. You ain't, you ain't been busy at all. You ain't been busy. Ain't been busy at all. <laughs> so I understand the whole artistry thing, and right. you know, uh, I I don't think anybody's is more worthy to have be recognized than than Mr. King because he's the king of the blues. That's like representing Michael Jackson. No, it is no for sure. And yeah. growing up, my yeah. dad coming from the south, it was he was everything. There was nobody Absolutely. he loved more than James Brown and BB King. Those are the two guys <laughs> that made it all happen. Made it all happen. Oh, yeah. well, I am so glad we're gonna look out and you make sure. So, how does somebody uh, track what you guys are doing? Is there a website? How do they find you? How do they come back yeah, to you? you? You can go to the bbkingexperience.com if you want to go there and leave a message or look at some of the upcoming, uh, you know, you know, projects and stuff like that. Okay. And uh, or you can go to the Benford Company, uh, TBC, uh, the Benford Company, and look that up. If you want to leave a message for me or something for Mr. King, uh, I'm right here. OK, well, come on back and see us here on Ariva show and as well on Living in the Sweet Spot when we come forward all at KBLA Talk 1580. Thank you for having me. Arriva time is the right time. More of Arriva Martin in real time when we come forward. You're listening to Arriva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. 
All right, what's happening? Uh, we are back, and this is Angelique Francis. I'm standing in for Ariva Martin today, which is always an honor to sort of hang out in her with her crew. I'm loving it. Thank you, Andy, for getting me through all this and guiding me. Appreciate that. So I'm going to introduce our next guest. I'm really excited about it. She is, she's going to tell you a little bit about her career, but she is an actress, dancer, uh, choreographer, and she's making her directorial debut in a documentary called Spiritual Ciphers. It's about hip-hop and the church. Won't you welcome Ariane Johnson. Hey! <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, you're beautiful. Thank you for being here. I'm happy to have you. And uh, uh, what is going on? You got a lot on your plate. Tell me about, <laughs> first tell me where you're from. I am from Brooklyn, New York, that right, side New York. specifically. New York and, is in the house. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. I just got finished premiering the film here at the Be uh, Billy Holiday Theater okay. on Friday. So it was a beautiful turnout. So great to come home and be embraced. You know the story of the prophet that goes home and they don't get any respect. Oh my gosh, it was so much love. Um, <laughs> so I was so grateful for that. So I'm looking forward to the premiere of uh, the West Coast premiere at the Chinese Man Theater on June 28th at 4.30, hoping for the same kind of love because I do straddle the coast, you know, okay. both in LA and both in uh, New York, so All yeah. Right. Well, we'll spread the word. I like it. I'm a New Yorker, New Yorker LA person as well, so I go back and Yay. forth quite a bit. So I feel <laughs> your vibe already. I'm always happy to talk to some of my New Yorkers in the house. It's all, it all, it's all good. So tell me about your career. Tell me about how you grew up. And then we'll oh. talk about the intersection and how you and why you do and what you're doing now. Okay, so I'm gonna give you the the elevator the pitch. long shorts, right? <laughs> <laughs> the elevator pitch, exactly. <laughs> um, I'm born and raised in New York. My mom um, is a dancer, so she's a graduate of Boston Conservatory. So I started dancing right out the womb, right, mm -hmm. um, with no choice, I might add. <laughs> um, so you know, as being young, we just. Um, in that era of that pioneering collective of hip hop, I'm a part of that because this is what we were doing, you know what I mean? In terms of uh, what young people were doing, we were doing hip hop. And so dance and um, the culture was something that I was born into that also. And I straddled the fence of those two things, um, dancing <laughs> with like companies like Forces of Nature and um, you know, um, learning from folks like Elio Pomare, who are like huge um, black aesthetic dance, um, like masters, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't really hear much about them, like Diane Harvey and um, Ronnie Pratt and Shirley Rushing. And so I was also doing, you know, hip hop, you know, and so I was dancing. Uh, my first video was Queen Latifah's uh, Dance For Me. Okay. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> I, I cut my... Martha Graham uh, dance class because uh, I was a merit scholarship student. So merit scholarships mean you better be there, right? Exactly. But um, what, what dance troupe? When you... um, I was a merit scholarship with Alvin Ailey. Oh, I was wonderful. merit scholarship with uh, Martha Graham. I was merit scholarship with Harkness Ballet. Girl, you're a uh, bad sister. You're a bad sister if you do a merit scholarship for all those because I know all those. You, know, you, you got to dance for your supper. <laughs> <laughs> So, Absolutely. Yeah, so I just began doing hip hop and we didn't know that this was going to be what it is now. Right. So you are part of this pioneering group, not knowing what to do, not knowing how to navigate, but just doing it because that's what youth does. Right. You just go dive in and ask questions later. And so I, you know, dance with LL and salt and pepper, um, did videos for them, did Grammys with LL, did 
uh, danced for Mary J. Blige. I've danced for SWV. I've danced for oh man, Prince Marky D from the Fat Boys. I've danced for oh my gosh, Queen. Uh, I said Queen Latifah for the video. Uh, Crystal Waters. I should be knowing this, right? But I don't have my resume in front of me. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. You know it. I did some hip hop, right? So I did some hip hop. You did a little hip hop in your day. Just a little Keith Sweat, (laughs) you know, Miss Melody. So I've done some stuff, right? And so, um, you know, I'm now an assistant professor at the University of California, Irvine, where I teach hip hop and I teach jazz. So it's like sort of like a full circle that I get to sort of write and direct and do these kinds of um, um, untold stories. Because in the film, I talk about black women um, who are pioneering hip hop dance artists. We don't hear much about them. Um, you know, some, you know, black women, sometimes we're just invisible. We're just there, right? right, right. You know, but we were there dancing and backing, uh, backing up these wonderful artists, um, bringing life to their stories through movement, embodying the culture, continuing to sustain it and maintain it and help it carry on. So the film talks about that and um, that's where I'm at right now. So I'm, I'm out here plugging away. Let's go back to your foundation. I'm sound, you okay. know, when you want to do a documentary about your relationship to hip hop in the church, yeah. tell me about your relationship and did you dance? Were you a praise dancer in the church? Tell me, you tell me what that was. was. You know I was. <laughs> Well, I'm a PK. I'm a PK. So I'm assuming everybody in the family had to do something. (laughs) Had to do something. So if you, um, so in the film, I talk about this because I'm straddling my two worlds, hip hop and the church. And Mm -hmm. so I grew up in Mount Lebanon Baptist Church Mm -hmm. um, since I was like five. We baptized there, the whole thing. But they didn't do any dancing, honey. They did no dancing in the sanctuary. Mm -hmm. You know, if Mm -hmm. you were invited um, to do anything, it would be for like a special little um, event, you know, or Sunday school um, where uh, uh, Deaconess Pickney would ask me to, can you do a little dance? But I was only able to do you know, Eurocentric westernized dance forms, which is like ballet, ballet and modern, right, Sure. You know, because at that time, you know, respectability politics in terms of um, being acceptable in terms of what is closest to the aesthetics of church that is mostly mainstream, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. even though in my church we did Negro spirituals, but we also did um, opera, Roberta Laws, who is Pastor mm-hmm. Laws's daughter? Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, she 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 can blow, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I grew up in. So as a church girl, we um, we didn't really uh, let everybody know <laughs> <laughs> that you can move like that, hip-hop. unless you were yeah, in the pr- yeah. pews. When you got out the pews, you had a little rhythm. So you know, it's interesting. Right. Hip hop has really um, influenced music today, and so yeah. I want to know how has hip hop influenced you personally. Oh my gosh. Um, so hip hop was my choice. I mentioned to you, my mother was a dancer. And so I didn't have a choice, but doing the specific um, dances that she taught like mm-hmm. ballet and Martin. Mm-hmm. Hip hop was my choice. I chose hip hop. Okay. And so hip hop informed me, um, not only that I tore the world, so I got to be culturally um, 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 educated mm-hmm. in other people's language, not only with movement, but also in how they interact and lived. Uh, hip hop informed me with, uh, I did a film, my first film was Just Another Girl on the IRT, which is the first hip hop female led, female lead 
female director film mm-hmm. that Miramax did back in 1992, <laughs> 93. I don't remember. And, okay, um, just for the record, you look like you're about 18, but I guess you're not. Oh, I, I guess you're I guess you're day. not. You're <laughs> <laughs> Must you. be all Thank that you. dancing, girl. Keep going. Keep uh, going. No, it's water. Drink your water. Drink your water. <laughs> <laughs> so what, you know, what what is the message that you hope that this documentary will bring home? Just that how our lives um intersect so many different people's lives like so community and culture really does um bind us together and so it's not just my story it's several other stories so Mm -hmm. i have pastors speaking i have other dance artists speaking i have um people that were affected in terms of just the trajectory of how the sermon because this is uh black um, music month how uh in in the film the sermon becomes the music and so how those parallels between the preacher and the rapper are realized and how the dance ministry grows from just being able to do ballet from the beginning of the film and being able to intersect that with hip hop by the end. So I feel like if you tap into the journey of continuing on with your passions and believing there's going to be everything's a cipher, a, a cipher which is a circle, which is a, a cyclier. If you keep going, eventually it comes back around. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, my show is called Living in the Sweet Spot, and we talk about intersections. And so I'm going to bring that up. We're going to come back around, and we're going to talk about that when we come forward. All on KBLA Talk 1580. She's the real deal. In real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. There's no time like the present. Let's get back to more of Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. All right. If you're just joining us, and I hope that you're not, I hope you've been hanging out with us in some drive time, but June is African American Music Appreciation Month. And as a result, we have some interesting people on. I have Ariane Johnson, who has a documentary, who talks really going to delve into the intersection between her hip hop life and her church life, so to speak, right? And uh, yeah, I was just getting ready to tell you, Ariane, that on uh, living in the sweet spot, that's what we talk about intersections, and so I mean, we All have right. to come have you come back on that show as well. Um, I want to know a little bit more about conflict. Do you <laughs> the conflict between the church and hip hop? Let's talk about that. Yeah, it was pretty significant um, in the beginning. And I um, have like the footage of what happened here in terms of Harlem um, with Reverend Calvin Butts at the time. Um, There were just um, big angst with um, what they thought hip hop was. And and it's not a monolith. African-Americans were not a monolith. Nothing we do is a monolith. And so there's diversity within everything. And unfortunately, there was zeroing in on particular kinds of hip hop and then making a a point of trying to ban it, destroy it. Um, And so in the beginning, there was conflict. And so eventually, um, it, it doesn't just stop with the preachers. It goes on to politicians. If you remember Tipper Gore, mm-hmm. um, we, we kind of travel down this road in remembrance of it was not easy. Um, it was not easy. And so um, here we are. Hip hop is a global phenomenon. 
hip hop was created by African-American youth in the Bronx, in New York, and it is now a global cultural embrace where it accepts you for who you are in this cipher, right? Right, that's really And allows important. you to be who you are, right? Well, that's, um, I'm looking but, at you. I'm looking at you. And we're talking about how you were raised, right? And that is, you are the sum of all your parts, right? You, you make up who you are because of your experiences. So, so sometimes I do have trouble with churches that don't want mm. to see their um, communities looking the way uh, they are and represented in the way that they are. Right. I talk about that in the film. Yeah. Tell me, talk about it now. Well, because culturally, I think because when we start worship, right, we go back to the plantation and the ring shot, right? We go back to being under the white gaze. We're going back to what um, is told to us is, is acceptable mm -hmm. to worship, which is a European aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so when we start to uh, evolve and then begin to bring our whole selves to God, because God just wants you, right? Mm -hmm. And everything that you are. It's no like, oh, you got to do this and you got to do that. No, 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 no. You come as you are. And so as we start coming as we are, then you see shifts in music like gospel, right? Of you course. see shifts of music, right? And so um, hip hop does that, you know, and when the, the uh, embrace begins to happen, uh, remember Kirk Franklin. I, I, I touch a little bit about uh, Kirk Franklin in the beginning in the film because, <laughs> oh, my gosh, no church wanted to deal with it. Remember, because he he tapped into that hip hop feel. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so no one knew what to do because mm -hmm. they didn't understand the next evolution, the next wave of innovation, because African-Americans have always been creative people. Right. And we've always been able to continue to move the needle forward in American history and American culture. And I feel very fortunate, although my grandfather was a Baptist pastor, which, of course, that was, you know, it was more limited. But as a young adult, I've been always attending a non-denominational church like here in Los Angeles mm -hmm. at Bam Crawford's church. She always had pageantry. <gasps> Do you know I Bam Crawford? I love Bam. I did a, <laughs> I did a uh, workshop for her for dance ministry. I love it. Well, I was just going to say, so there you go. And we've got uh, Bam Crawford. You know, we always had pageantry. You know, yeah. we always celebrated our blackness and who we were and where we come from. So dance ministry was always a part of uh, that ministry and it still continues to be. And it is part of our culture. In fact, I, I did a show with her um and it's called Judah Box. I directed it. And many years ago, we oh, had dancers, we had dancers, we had singers, we had all kinds wow. of amazing. But what was important to me as a director was to be able to tap into who we really were as people, both, you know, not who you want us to be, but who we really are. Our gifts, our talents, our that. fears, our trauma. We're all of that. Right. And being yes. able to say, in spite of all that. And I'm not going to get religious on this show, but in spite of all that, you're accepted in the beloved, yeah. right? And yeah. and you're, you're acceptable. Accepted. So, mm. wow, nice. that's wonderful. Yeah, we'll have to talk. <laughs> we'll have to talk more. I'll tell her that you were on and that you said hello. Please, <laughs> please, please send her my love. I love that woman. I, I love was at it. so I went to Faithful Central Bible okay. Church. So that's I, where. Yep. Um, you know, Bishop Omer, sure. this, where this intersection ha finally happens from the east then to the west. Yes. And so while I was at uh, Bishop's church um, as a member and over the dance ministry, I would always go 
to Bam and she would give me her little embrace and hug oh, and send me on the way. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But that that is what we should get from church, yes. right? That yes. is what we should receive. And when you when you go to a ministry and you know they don't embrace all people in humanity, you may not like what people do, but but the right. human humane thing is to embrace all, right? That's sort of right. the whole point. So we're celebrating 50th anniversary of hip hop as well. So um, I'm just curious if you could define hip hop. What? How would you define it? Oh uh, well, we have through through your vision and through dance. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's broken down. You know, it's filled with graffiti and um, the DJ, the MC. It's this knowledge. It's you know the B boy, the B girl. So that's the dance. That's the you know the graffiti has moved into the, like the the aesthetics. The you know what we look like. The MC is obviously the rapper. The DJ is the you know he's producing the music and of course the knowledge of where we come from. So hip hop already has like a very clear understanding of what the foundations and the pillars are. Um, but how you filter your hip hop is your individual journey. And for me, um, that was the spiritual cipher. That was the continuum of the messages and the codes and my purpose of what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to straddle and I was supposed to intersect and that's what I did. And so those messages that I'm given is really about your purpose and how you execute that authentically and who you are. Um, so, you know, it, it's up for personal introspection and understanding on how you contribute to the culture. Okay. So person, the uh, spiritual cipher, what, mm -hmm. why do you call this film that? How long, how many minutes running time is this film? It's 36 minutes and 48 seconds. Okay, so it's a That's short. Including clip edits. Yes, it's, it's a short. It's a short, so you can come on in and check it out. And then yeah. you can see another movie. Of it. Is it a yeah. certain festival? Or is it, this is opening here in the, uh, in the east? Where am I? West Coast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Girl, I know you do that too, right? Am I on the East Coast, West Coast? Where right am I? I'm on the East. I'm going to the West. It's uh, Dances with Films, which is a really pretty. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, it's a really nice festival. And so... Um, and it's actually the West Coast premiere I mentioned. This is, it hasn't shown uh, in California on the West Coast at all. So I'm really pleased um, with this opportunity to show the work because I think it's uh, a discussion that's not being had right now when we're talking about the 50th anniversary of hip hop. We're not talking about black women. We're not talking about the intersection of spirituality, mm -hmm. which um, parallel and also overlap. Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is an important discussion. I had this beautiful panel here at the Billy, uh, Billy Holiday Theater, mm -hmm. um, and it was just riveting in terms of the audience asking questions and um, having this thought about our own responsibility and where does it go from here. So, yeah. Wow, that's lovely. Uh, so that's what the dances with film, dances with film, at yep. the down, tell them exactly where it is and what time it is. Okay, so it's at the Chinese Man's Theater on Hollywood Boulevard, and it's at 4.30. You can purchase your tickets at Dances with Films, and I believe it's like around $19 or something like that. Um, and it will go to, you know, it, you know, helping more filmmakers, more documentary um, folk do the work, you okay. know, because 
It's not easy. It's not easy. No, it's but not I'm e- grateful for the funding because I wouldn't have been able to fund this film without the University of California of Irvine that I got a grant to do. And so it was um, not an easy feat, but I'm grateful. <laughs> I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you did it. I'm grateful that you're uh, that this is your project. You were a new filmmaker and I'm excited for you. Can't wait to see what else you bring forward. It's going to be interesting to watch your career from here. I'm just um. If you had one thing you want this film to do, just just give me one word that you want the film to evoke for people coming to remind watch. us about community, community, remind us about community. So this mm. is almost like a full circle moment in terms of the different communities mm-hmm. that I've been able to intersect myself because mm-hmm. I didn't come out to um, Los Angeles by myself. I, I uh, booked a film called Bullworth with Lauren Beatty. Mm-hmm. And so that is how I got to the West Coast. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna go back home. No, I stay and I go on the Steve Harvey show. I'm doing all these things. And God shows me the community that you establish and you begin to root, like you you need to plant roots. Mm -hmm. When you do that, right, all of the things that you are and do come together. Okay. All right. Well, Root Maker, I love it. I'm so <laughs> excited. Listen, I'll, I'll try my best to be there. And more importantly, I'm going to keep you uh, for future guests as well. Thanks for being here. Okay, you guys, this has been such a pleasure and an honor to stand in for Reva Martin today. Make sure you turn tune into my show, Living in the Sweet Spot, on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and 5 on Sundays. Living in the Sweet Spot, we bring these, we talk to these amazing people who, who have had life altering trials and unforgettable uh, uh, triumphs and we talk about it there's overcomers there's artists there's athletes activists scientists educators authors and agents for change so make sure you check us out thank you so much Ariva Martin for allowing me to stand in for you today thank you Andy thank you Avi thank you everybody who's been so helpful and coming up next will be the Raw Report with Robin Ayers KBLA 1580 Santa